You know, it really doesn't matter whether or not you believe what you just said. Because you can call those things which be not as though they were. And that's what the word says. Uh, I, I greet you in the name of the Lord. Talk with your pastor and, um, and let him know I would be in the area. And uh, rather than jump on a plane after the service, uh, the homegoing service for Dr. Massey, uh, it would be good just to stay here in the Detroit area, Flint, Michigan area and uh, to share with you. Uh, what a blessing uh, to be able to be a part of the foundation because you guys, if you don't know it, you're a part of the foundation of this house. Yeah. Amen. And I remember uh, starting, um, let me just give a, a brief testimony. I mean, I went to Boston in 1972 um, uh, actually, in February of 72, I was living in Chicago, and, and I, I was in seminary there. And, uh, and the church I'd preached in 1971 at the Inspirational Youth Convention that year was in Detroit, Michigan, in December of 1971. And the church in Boston had come to the convention, and, uh, and they attended the service that I preached at the convention. And one of them asked me to come and preach to the church in Boston. And uh, it didn't have a pastor. They didn't ask me to consider pastoring them. But I knew they didn't have a pastor. And so they invited me to come. And, um, and I, I said, well, if you consider and send me around for a ticket, I certainly will come. And they didn't know that I would go to hell and preach if you send me around trip ticket. So I... I I jumped on a plane in February of 1972, flew from Chicago to, uh, uh, to Boston, and uh, on that Saturday, preached that Sunday morning. And when I walked out on the podium, this is the podium, I came from a, a door that was on the stage, and I stepped up to a few steps and walked out. And you, you've seen those old churches where, where they've got a, uh, three chairs on the on the podium, and the one in the middle is the higher back. I sat in that middle chair, and when I sat down, the Lord spoke to me. They were in worship. The Lord spoke to me and said, you can do something with these people. And I preached that morning. I preached that evening. The next uh, day, Monday morning, I flew back to back to Chicago, and when my wife picked me up with our two children, she asked me, what did the Lord say? And I said to her, looks like we're going to Boston. <laughs> and uh, I went there to pastor in that city, uh, and to pastor the church of God in that city, and uh, took them as far as they would let me. And yeah, Can you just say as far as they would let me? And uh, you can only do as much. Some people won't let you take them any further than they want to go. And, uh, and I went to a church of just a handful of people, not much more than are here. But we saw that grow, church grow from just a handful to a church of hundreds. And, um, and when I 
started all over again. We went to a downtown hotel uh, and rented the ballroom there and saw a ministry begin from another small group that had confidence that uh, we could be a significant ministry in the Boston area. And now that ministry has grown to be a ministry of thousands in two locations. And uh, I've stepped away from being the pastor. My second son, Matthew, is the pastor of that work. And he's taken it to a, a level, my God, we just had an atmosphere convention uh, where all the space, and we can, we can see 1,200 in our main sanctuary, and in the overflow, we could see somewhere between three to 400, but there was standing room in both, both places uh, where the power of God fell each night as worship and prayer and praise and, and the word, for, ah, my God, and, and prophetic words and the move of God, just so powerful. I, I just sat there and just marveled at all that God is doing. Amen. I know that your pastor um, has shared with me that you guys have been hearing a word on prayer. And um, uh, I've written a book entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And um, it's, it, it'll be out this month. I, I plan to take it to West Middlesex. Hopefully there'll be a handful of folks that'll buy it. Amen. But, um, uh, at the beginning of that book, and it'll be a, just the beginning of the message that I'll share with you. At the beginning of that book, I, I share an experience that I had. <clears throat> I graduated from Boston University School of Theology, and one of the seminarians, a brother by the name of Alfred Johnson, actually, uh, was a student there with me. We graduated together. And, uh, and he had the occasion to visit the church that I went to Boston, the pastor. And he went there when we were oh, about 100. You know, really, really, somewhere between 75 and 100. You know, and when different ones at West Middlesex would ask me, how's the church in Boston doing? I'd say, well, we're trying to make 100, 99 and a half won't do. And uh, so this seminarian, who was a, a dear brother, was uh, he, he witnessed the size of my church. But when a friend of ours died, he came from his pastorate in New York to Boston to attend the funeral. And, uh, and I was there. And after the funeral, I was standing out on the sidewalk. Uh, I wasn't planning to go to the interment. And when Alfred walked out, he saw me and called out to me, Thompson, what are you doing? And I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. And I said, what do, what do you mean, Alfred? He said, what do I mean, man? When, when we were in seminary, you was pastoring a hand, and I'll say it just like he said it, thank you. Um, I, I'm, when I uh, was in, when we were in seminary, you passed, I'm probably gonna knock it over, so I'm moving it. You was just pastoring a hand. We you was just pastoring a handful of, and as I said, a handful of Negroes. 
See, but now I understand that you got a church of thousands. You pastor the largest church in the city. What are you doing? So now I had him located. I knew what he was asking. How did you get from there to here? And I looked him straight in his eyes, and I said, you really want to know, Alfred? He said, yeah, man, I really want to know. I'm, I'm not having the kind of success that you're having. Share with me, brother. What are you doing? And I said, and as I began to think about how to say what he needed to hear, I started to prepare myself because I didn't have anything that I had to do right then. And I thought to myself, I'll take him to lunch. We'll get a chance to really talk. So I looked at him and said, Alfred, I'm praying. And as I was preparing to say more, he put up his hand and said, yeah, 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 yeah. But what are you doing? <laughs> and in the introduction, I said, unfortunately, most people don't think of prayer. It's something that you can do that will actually make a difference. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 1611. I've got it open here. Psalm 16. And let me give you a, an assignment before the day is out. Don't do it now, but before the day is out, Read the 16th Psalm, and you'll see that it is a psalm full of a confession of faith. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 tells us, Hold fast to your confession. Hold unswervingly to your confession of faith without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And so you having a confession of faith and saying, this is who I am. Uh, your confession of faith is not a prayer. It is a statement of who you are, what you have, and what you can do. And when you say, this is who I am, this is what I have, this is what I can do, you'll send demons running from you in every direction. Because most of us are destroyed Literally, because of a lack of knowledge. That's Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, where the Lord says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Not sinners, his people. Destroyed from what we don't know. And one of the things we need to recognize is the power of a positive confession. And the last verse of this amazing psalm, 16, is this, you have made known to me the path of life. You have filled me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Can you say amen? amen. Pray this prayer with me. Touch somebody if you're close enough to them and pray this prayer. Father, open my eyes to see truth today as never before, in Jesus' name, amen. 
there is a path that you need to recognize. It's not, it's not just an experience, it's a path. If, if it's just an experience, uh, the text would have said, Lord, and it's a prayer. The psalmist says, Lord, you have made known to me the experience. <laughs> uh, no, it's a path. Uh, it's something that God reveals. You have made known to me the path. Uh, there are things that you could not know apart from revelation knowledge. Uh, now, revelation knowledge, the, the word reveal, the word reveal literally means to uncover. It, that um, won't burden you with the Greek word, but it literally means, that the Greek word literally means to uncover, to reveal something or to make revelation available. You uncover. Uh, you can't see uh, the fact that I have a belt on. Let me buckle up real good so you uh, can't see the belt that I have on. But if I wanted you to see the belt that I have on and the flat fact that it covers a flat stomach. So, so that's, that's reveal. Revelation is something that you cannot see on your own. Paul said it this way in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, beginning at verse 9. He says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for, for those who love him. Then he says in the same verse, but... God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. The next verse says, for the spirit searches all things, yea, even the deep things of God. So there are deep things of God that the Lord wants to open your eyes to see, reveal to you truth that you could not know apart from revelation knowledge. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him. That's, that's that same text. Even so, the things of God, no one knows except by the spirit of God. And then he concludes in verse 12. For we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is of God, that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. Being open to more of God is the foundation for you getting more. Ah, ah, I can't emphasize it enough. I've had different ones that have come to me and have said, hey, man, how did you do what you've done? How did you get to where you are? I see something and I want it. How, how, how can I get that? Uh, the last time that happened to me, and it was a serious person that came asking the question. I pointed him to John chapter 7, verse 17. Uh, and he just write it down. You know, I'll, I'll throw out references and quote them, but John 7, 17 is an important uh, verse that you need to know. Um, that if you desire to know his will, you'll know 
his will. That, that in essence, you know, I, I, I want to, I, you, know, you got it on the screen. So, amen. If anyone wills to do his will, he will know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether Jesus is speaking, whether I speak on my own. So, so the, the idea that if you really want to know, you will know. Come on, say it. If you really want to know, you will know. So if a person comes to me, and this has actually happened, and I want to know the will of God, but I don't know what it is. That way you lying then. Because that text disagrees with what you just said. God's looking for those who really want to know. And if you really want to know his will, revelation knowledge will come. Just keep walking. Don't stop. Keep believing. God will open your eyes. Even in the midst of going through difficulties. Uh, Isaiah 30 verse 19 says, though the, no, verse 20. Though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will no longer be hidden. <laughs> did, you, did you wrap your mind around that? And it doesn't matter what catastrophes you go through, what difficulties you experience, what mountains you have to climb. Your eyes, as you keep going through it, not complaining. Children of Israel didn't get to the promised land. Many of them died in the wilderness because they were full of complaints. And they really did not want to know all of what God was trying to show them. But Joshua and Caleb got there because they wanted to know. Caleb said, give me this mountain. And Joshua and Caleb, as two of the spies that spied out the land, came back. And said, we are well able. Yeah, there are mountains in the, in the land. But we are, they are bread for us. We are well able. And they took the next generation into the promised land. And the old generation that cried and complained. That spoke out of a lack of faith. Full of fear. They walked for 40 years in the wilderness and all of them died out. And the Lord took their children and their children's children on into the land. Amen. Say with me, revelation knowledge. God's the only one that gives it. You have made known to me. Amen. So, not only did he say, you have made known unto me, uh, but he mentioned life as a path. You have made known to me the path of life. Does it have a beginning? Absolutely. I mean, you get saved by grace through faith. I got saved back. I got saved April the 26th, 1964, uh, as I... Uh, as my dad spoke to my brothers and me and said, I'm tired of forcing you guys to go to church with me. And, uh, and I was about to dance because I was not saved. And 
doing my own thing on Saturday nights, and I would have loved to have been able to sleep in late on Sunday mornings. But he woke my brothers and me up and, uh, and made us go to church with him. And I slept every service I was in that church. I hated it. Are you hearing me? But he said, I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I just graduated from high school. He said, I'm tired of forcing you guys to go to church with me. He said, but you have to go. So find a church that ministers to you and go there. And so my mother was a Church of God preacher's daughter, and she had sang on the choir in the Church of God. But when my dad started going to another church, she said, we're all going to go to church with dad because a family that prays together stays together. And so we went to church with dad. Sad. It was a dead church. All churches are not the same. So I, I, when my dad released me from being forced to go to church with him, I got up that morning. I hadn't been, I went to Sunday school in the Church of God. And I had, I had Sunday school friends in the Church of God. I figured, well, I'll go visit. And I don't know, it, no one knew I was coming. I hadn't been there in over six years. I sat all the way in the back on the last seat in the middle aisle and someone must have let Brother Shepherd know I was coming because <laughs> he preached the hell out of me and I literally literally I'm not cussing he preached the hell that was in me out and I found myself weeping at an altar and the Lord turned my life around Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it begins at a point in time. I mean, if I look at this, uh, you know, say this, and I ran track in high school. So if, it, I mean, if this is the starting line, I got saved when I crossed it. When I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, I was saved by grace through faith, not of myself. It was a gift from God not of works, lest anyone should boast. I repented of my sin. I committed my life to Christ. Amen? But <laughs> that's not all God has for you. You know, my wife and I have eight children. Uh, and uh, since, since you read, uh, since you read uh, 33, we've had another one. So it was 34 grandchildren. Uh, but the Lord is saying that the life he expects you to have, just like I have, I have a realistic expectation that my children would grow up and move out of my house by their own house and raise their own children. I mean, I didn't expect them to live with me forever. Is that making any sense? I mean, I don't, I didn't mean, I wouldn't, I wasn't trying to push them out, but, you know, and I was going to pay for them to go to school and all of that, but, but I had the realistic expectation that they would grow and become adults and marry and have children and buy their own house or, or rent their own apartment. 
Amen. And all of my children married. All of them have children. That's why I've got I got 34 grandchildren because all of them, amen. And I, I, when I would come home, uh, and when they were all there, they would run. I mean, you know, the word would go out, Daddy's home. And they would run and wrap their arms around my legs, the little ones. And they would try to wrestle me to the ground. Come on, we'll get him to the ground. And the, the, the first time they got me down is the last time I let that happen. Because I was standing and said, you can't wrestle me. You can't get me to the ground. But they got big enough to knock me down. What a joy it was raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And to see them follow Christ to their destiny. But I would say to Yvonne, my wife, I can't wait for these guys to grow up. Five boys, three girls. I can't wait for them to grow up and do what God's calling for them to do. And I finally saw, oh, several, several years now, I came home to an empty house. They were all gone. And as I came into the house, I opened up the door and hollered, hey, and off in the distance, I heard, hey, my wife. And then I went to find where the noise of her voice came from. And I, when I walked in and I saw her, she said, hi, honey, how's your, how's your day? I said, fine, how's yours? She said, oh, I'm fine. And then I said, um, is anybody coming over? <laughs> she looked at me and she said, no one's coming over, honey. What do you want for dinner? What, you, are we going out? What do you want? Yeah. And, and I just thought, Lord, I wanted them to grow up and to move out, but I, I still missed them. So I looked at her and I said, um, I, you know, I think I'm going to get me a dog. She said, you're going to what? I said, I want to, I think I'm going to get me a dog. She said, you're not getting a dog. I said, well, and she said, well, why would you want a dog? I said, I, I said, if I had a dog, because I missed the kids running. I, if I had a dog, at least the dog would be happy to see me when I come through the door. She looked at me and she said, listen, you're not getting a dog. We're not getting a dog. And the next time I came home, I hollered, hey, and I heard. And she ran down the steps and she came over to me. <laughs> True story. No, we never got a dog. But he said, you've made known to me the path of life. Let me add, add to it a path that really leads to life. Because you're alive when you first 
make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You're resurrected from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. But you're not experiencing the fullness of the life that God expects you to experience if you stay right there. And there are a lot of folk that don't go any further than that. They sit down on the pew and they sit on their blessed assurance and they're just glad to be saved. They're not concerned about winning anyone else. They're not concerned about any kind of ministry that God may be calling them to. They're not concerned about taking what they've learned from their, their difficulties and, and achieving the kind of testimony that will encourage others to follow Christ as they are. But you are here as a foundation stone in this house. You are here, and I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, you are here to establish this house as a foundation. And I believe that, that God is opening and will open your eyes as we share this word to experience the path of life that will not only quicken life and truth and maturity and power and anointing in you, but in the people that you touch. So that sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, friends and family members, close or distant, will find Christ because you are the kind of example that the Lord desires to use. You have made known to me the path of life. And then, revelation knowledge, okay? Number one, that path is in his presence. So number one, in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. First, number one, recognizing that there's a joy that you desperately need that only comes from prayer. See, prayer takes you into his presence. Now, uh, a lot of folk just think about prayer as making a request to God. It's where I talk to God. And it's where I let him know what my needs are. And, and I, I explain, I share with him where I am and what I need him to do and to be in my life. And while that's true, I'm not against that. Certainly, uh, that, is, that is prayer. But by definition, prayer is more than just you talking to God. Number two, prayer is you listening, hearing from God, uh, communing with him as friend with friend that you share out of your heart. And, and prayer includes worship. So uh, if, I, if you think about the psalmist, the psalmist said, enter into his gates. This is Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Uh, let me back up for a second. 
to get you to see uh, that that Hebrew parallelism is <laughs> it's an important truth that needs to be understood by those who want to gain a deeper knowledge of what the word is saying. Hebrew parallelism, uh, this is what it means. It means that what God would do through Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, um, what he would do is because he knows we are hard-headed. I didn't get any amens. Let me help you. A amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I recognize I need to hear something again and again and again before I finally allow it to settle itself into the obedience of my heart so that it transforms, it changes what I do, how I act, how I think. So the psalmist said, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So, so, so there's a, a gate that I have to go past to get into his presence. Amen? Into, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So I come giving him thanks. Thanks, I thank God for who he is in my life. I thank God for what he has done and is doing in my life. Thanksgiving. <laughs> we offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the psalmist says, and we call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, when you think about calling on the name of the Lord, uh, uh, that's enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And, uh, you, you, the name of the Lord, we are told in, in Proverbs, what is it, 18 and 10? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and find safety. So to understand that God's names are not like our names. Amen. Uh, uh, you know, when we name a child, uh, you know, hey, hey, well, hey. Uh, I mean, there were guys that I hung out with. One guy's name was Snooky. Hey, hey, Snook, man, yo, dude, what's up, dude? What in the world does Snooky mean? Or, or I, I know a brother that was in my church. His name was Bubba. Yo, Bub, Bubba, what does Bubba mean? See, the names of God have meaning. He's called Jira, Jehovah, Jira. Jira means he's my provider. Amen. What has he provided? Oh, just let your mind go. It's in him we live and move and have our being. He's provided wisdom. He's provided understanding. He's provided a way of salvation. He's provided destiny, dreams, vision. All of it comes from God. He's Jehovah Sidkenu. He's my righteousness. I have a righteousness in him, not a righteousness that's of my own, but a righteousness that is in him. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen? 
And righteousness is something not only that I have as a gift, but it's something that is a part of what I reproduce in the earth. When he says, when Amos says in 524, let justice flow down like waters and righteousness like a never ending stream so that righteousness is something God not only gives us, but he wants to, he wants it to be something that we reproduce in the lives of others. So Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else you need will be added so that so that knowing his names, he's Sidkenu, he's in Kadeshim, he's my sanctifier, he's Shalom, he's my peace, he's, oh, I mean, I could go on and on. The names of God, they're powerful. And when you understand who he is, you understand what he's already given you. So he says, well, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to thank God for who he is in me. And enter into his courts with praise. So I enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. So as I come into the presence of God, two things need to be a part of my entering. Number one, thanksgiving. I had a mother that would, and we didn't have dessert every meal. But once she would put the ice cream onto the plate or the cake onto the plate or pudding or whatever it was, bread pudding onto the plate, when she would hand it to me, she would say, what do you say? You didn't get it if you didn't say thank you. See, thank you is really you walking by faith and not by sight. So even if you don't see yourself as God providing everything that you need, when you recognize that he's your provider, you need to come into his gates thanking him. Thank him for what you have. Thank him for what he's going to give you. Does that make sense? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and then come into his course with praise. All right. So thanksgiving and praise are synonymous. Okay. Because you enter into his gates as you enter into his courts. See, those are synonymous. Gates and courts are synonymous. And then you enter into his gates with thanksgiving and then you enter his court with praise. Gates. Courts enter into, see the parallel? Enter into his, let me put it this way. Let me, because I know I'm doing, I got to do it backwards. Because enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise. So thanks, thanksgiving, thanksgiving and praise are synonymous. If you had the text in front of you, you'd see it. Enter into his courts, his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. So when I thank God, I'm praising him 
for what he, who he is, praising him for what he does. And Then the next phrase says, because he repeats the same thing, be thankful unto him and bless his name. See the parallel? Thankful, bless. Thankful to him, bless who? His name. So now you need to know the names of God. Amen. I'll, I'll give them all. All the compound names of God. Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah's Sidkenu. He's Jehovah M. Kadeshim, my sanctifier. All right. He's Jehovah Shalom, my peace. He's Jehovah Nisi, my banner. He's Jehovah uh, Shama, the God who is present, a very present help in trouble. Shama. He's Jehovah uh, Ro Rapha, my healer. Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd. He's Jehovah Sabiel my captain. If you took the time to worship God around his names, it would take you a while. <laughs> you could spend an hour not asking him for anything, but thanking him for everything. And there's power in his presence. This text says, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Joy. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Come on, share it out. Strength. Say it again. Strength. So joy is strength. So if I learn how to enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, Without asking him for anything, I will gain a joy that strengthens me, that empowers me to run with perseverance the race that's set before me. Amen. It is the beginning of you becoming the mature believer God expects you to be. And it's not something that you can do every now and then when you're in trouble. It's something you have to discipline yourself to do every day. The Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. So that just as you're going to eat something in a particular day, you need to take some spiritual nourishment. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So even when I sit down to take in nourishment, physical nourishment into my body, I need to recognize that I need to take in spiritual nourishment. And worship is the beginning of that. So... You've made known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. So I get a, a strength, a power, even an authority because I'm in your presence. I don't bind the enemy on my own. I bind the enemy in the name of Jesus. 
because, and I'm, I'm standing in his presence when I do so. I got the armor of God on Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 to 18, I, I'm someone that's clothed. My, my loins are girt about with, with truth. I've got on the breastplate of righteousness. I've got my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, I'm taking the shield of faith wherewith I can quench all of the flaming arrows of the wicked one. I put on the helmet of salvation. I've grabbed the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'm praying with all kinds of prayers at all times in the spirit. Accidentally turned it off. So excited I'm squeezing buttons. You have made known to you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence. That wasn't me. Am I am I? Y'all need to change a battery? You do. Amen. 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 You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And then number two, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Come on, say it. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, uh, when you become someone who knows how to get into the presence of God with worship and praise, and, and then after that, you make your requests known unto God. I mean, if you, if you follow the format of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that's worship and praise. Hallowed be thy name. Hallelujah. Okay? Um, um, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. See, so I recognize that there are benefits in being in his presence, and so I spend time worshiping God. But then you need to recognize that a part of your growing is reaching beyond yourself to touch the lives of others. That the Lord wants to save me because he loves me, but he wants also to save others, and he desires to use me, to use you to touch the lives of others. Story is told that General John Booth, who is the patriarch behind the Salvation Army, one Christmas, decided to send a telegram to Salvation Army workers around the world. 
And he just wanted to say a word of encouragement to them as they were standing on street corners or in front of stores with a red bucket collecting funds to do the work of Salvation Army around the world. And so he went to the telegraph office, uh, office and he wrote out a, a telegram, brief sentence, he gave it to the operator. The operator then told him how much it would cost to send that message around the world. And him being the frugal person that he was, when he saw how much it would cost, he shortened the sentence. Because you pay for whatever you send. They count the number of letters. They count the words. So he shortened the sentence. And each time he shortened it, he ended up saying to himself, that's too much money. And finally, he shortened the sentence to one word. And in that one word, it expressed what Christmas is all about. What the Advent season is all about. What ministry, mature ministry is all about. And the one word was others. The Lord didn't just save you because he loves you. He saved you because you're connected to others. All of us, all of us, we're connected. Uh, you may not be close to your father or your mother, but you're connected to them. You may, may not be close to your brothers and your sisters, but you're connected to them. You may not know the names or even be close to the people that you work with, but you're connected to them or the people that live in your neighborhood. But you pass by them. They wave at you. They, they, know, I mean, they know who you are even if you don't know that they know who you are. It's about others. I was standing out on my front. I just moved in to this building in a, in a suburban neighborhood, and I had no idea that I was the only African-American moving in to that neighborhood. I didn't see anybody that looked like me, but that didn't bother me. I found a house my wife loved. Actually, she found it, and we looked at it, and we bought it. She actually said to me, when are you going to buy me a house? I said, wait a minute. This house I bought? I mean, you don't like this house? She said, no, you bought this house. <laughs> you bought every house. We've lived in. I said, well, now, honey, I thought we bought it. No, 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 no. You bought it. I said, well, uh, babe, listen. Listen, you're the, you're the love of my life. You are my ace boon coon. You, you, the sun rises and sets. Girl, girl, go looking for a house, and we'll buy it. Amen. I mean, I passed the largest church in New England. Come on. I can afford to buy you one. Please. 
find it. I need you to be happy. Happy wife. Thank you. You know it. So we bought this house, and she loves it. And I, this Christmas, Christmas, we bought the house and moved in. And, and when Christmas came, I'd been there maybe three, four months. Um, and um, out in the front, you know, it was snow, and it was cold, and it was the winter. And, and I, we had put some figures on the front, you know, angels blowing a trumpet, you know, with lights all around and everything. So I was out there in the cold trying to push these little wire figures, had had anchors that pushed them around because the wind would blow them over and I had to, I'm out there trying to get get it so that when people ride by, they can look up and say, oh yeah, look at those lights. Isn't that nice? So I'm out there fixing these things and one of my my neighbors, who I'd never met, was walking by, walking his dog. And so when I looked up, it's early in the morning, when I looked up, I spoke to him. I said, good morning, neighbor. And he looked up at me and he said, good morning, bishop. <laughs> See, the word had gone out over the neighborhood. The black family that's moved into the house, uh, uh, he's a bishop. Listen, you have an influence that you may not even know about. People are watching you. People are concerned about you and what, what God is doing. See, he's showing you the path of life. The first part of it that quickens life and strengthens it in you is you getting into his presence to worship and to pray. But then the next part says, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. <laughs> so it is you recognizing that you're more than just a child of God. You are a son of God, male and female. The word is weoi or weas. It stands for those who are mature as, you know, those as many as are led by the spirit of God. They are the weoi, the sons of God. So it's, it's, it's not a male term. I mean, I know it's used for, for, for males, but it's, it's a term more for those who are mature those who are doing the work of the kingdom. And the spirit of God wants to lead you out of inactivity to activity, out of just being a child of God to growing up into him who is the head, even Christ, so that you become a part of that group that is there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, in whom, in whom, here's what it says, in whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's not all on Pastor David. It's on all of us as individuals. I'm here doing my part as the bishop over your pastor, but you guys 
have a ministry and you need to open wide your heart to say, Lord, all that you say to me, that I will do and I will be obedient. I will spend the time in your presence getting stronger. I will grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ because I want to see myself as someone who's seated at your right hand, Father. Who's at the Father's right hand? Well, Jesus is at his right hand. How did you get there? Well, the Bible says you are in Christ. So if Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand and you're a part of his body, you are in Christ. You are seated at the Father's right hand. And we're told that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where does the pleasure come from? The pleasure is in being his servant, in doing his will, in ministry to others, that there is a joyful pleasure that you will experience that those who are just sitting on their blessed assurance know not of. The foundation for all of this is found in Ephesians chapter 1, chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, that even though we were dead in our sins, he made us alive in Christ. By grace we are saved, and he raised us up together, and he caused us to sit together in the heavenly realms in Christ. Now notice, in Christ is repeated in the text. I've been quickened in Christ. I've been raised up in Christ. I've been seated in Christ. And the word for seated is a word that means to sit on a throne. It's a Greek word, kathizo. It means to sit on a throne. It's not talking about sitting on a pew or sitting on a chair. It means sitting on a seat with authority. That's where you are, in the heavenly realms, in Christ, at the Father's right hand. <laughs> now, now here, here's what it says in chapter 1. Uh, and by his mighty strength, well, let me, let me back up a little bit so that you'll see it. Um, he says that... Uh, um, Paul says, when I think about your faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you'll know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you, the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power that is in us who believe, according to the working of his mighty strength, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him, here it is, according to the working of his mighty strength, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. All right? So that's where that you get that he's seated at. We already knew that, but here it's stated by the apostle Paul that Christ 
was raised from the dead and seated at the Father's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's where you are in Christ. You are seated at the Father's right hand in the heavenly realms. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen? Now, I was in a meeting where there was a leader known throughout the body of Christ who was in this meeting as a resource person. And uh, we were seated. Uh, there must have been a circle that was about as big as this auditorium, uh, where if you lined up people seated all the way around, it was a big circle. And across from me sat the uh, resource person. And he said, well, you know, um, before we uh, do anything else, let, let's, let's, let's have a season of prayer. As many as feel led, lead us in prayer. I was one of the ones that led this. My assistant pastor was one of the ones that led. And there were different other ones. There must have been a half a dozen people that led out in prayer. And it was a glorious time. And after that season of prayer, which lasted about 15 minutes or so, the resource person critiqued our praying. The thing about it is that the person he was looking at when he was critiquing it was me because I sat right in front of him. And he said, we need to be careful about rebuking the enemy. Because there are principalities that are above us. And then he shared how he knew some people who have been attacked by the enemy and with terminal illnesses. And, and so he, he engendered fear within the hearts of those who didn't know what the word taught. And I said to him, I said, do you believe this? Here's a resource person called in, and he's going to critique the way I'm praying. And I know I was pulling down demonic strongholds. Now, if he had, if he had just taken me aside, but I wasn't the only one that prayed against the enemy and bound the enemy in Jesus' name. I wasn't. There were others that did so. Uh, Pastor Cooper, if you know of him, uh, he's my assistant. I mean, he was there. Uh, so he didn't just say it to me. He said it to all of us. I was taught you have to correct something as far as it's known. If he had just taken me to the side and said, Bishop, listen, I listened to the way you were praying, and you need to really be careful. If he had warned me privately, I could have corrected him privately. But since he warned all of us publicly, and they all heard it. I said, well, my brother, I was the only one who spoke up. I said, my brother, what do you do with Ephesians chapter 6? Which says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to take your stand in the evil day. And, of course, he went through the armor of God, loins, skirt about with truth, all of that. 
And he threw out another passage of scripture, which he had misinterpreted, so I corrected him. And we went back and forth like that for about 15 minutes. And he said, well, you know, listen, I'm just warning you that there are demonic forces that are above us. And I said to him, I said, my brother, I mean, no disrespect to you, but they may be above you. They are not above me. And what I was saying is written in Ephesians chapter, chapter one. Amen. For he said that in Christ, he said in verse 21, far above all principalities, powers, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the one that is to come. See, you need to know who you are. And when you stand in an authority that comes out of your faith in what the word says, and out of the discipline of prayer and praise, and the discipline of walking as an example before others, you will be someone that when you step into the room, demons run. They tremble because the power of God brings them to naught. It is what God is calling for those of you who see yourselves as a part of the foundation of this house. It's what your, your pastor is endeavoring to bring you to because he saw, he not only has been to my church, but he has seen what the power of prayer can do to establish God's dominion in a city. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing this truth with your people. We recognize that at your right hand, the pleasure is forevermore. We determine to experience a pleasure that is beyond this world. It's not sensual in any way, but it is a pleasure that comes from your approval over our walk in mature ministry. The cry of our hearts is that you will use us. Use us, Lord. Fortify us, strengthen us. Correct those places in our lives where we're not as surrendered as we need to be. We know that you want to establish relationships that are beneficial to us. You want to establish finances that are beneficial to us. You want to establish, Lord, all of us in righteousness and holiness. You want us to be the healthy physically, the healthy spiritually, the balanced emotionally, socially. So that you can use us all the years of our lives 
that you'll not only be able to add years to our lives, but life to our years. We can be used by you to turn generations from darkness to light. That the work of your kingdom will multiply, not just in Flint, but beyond Flint into regions of Detroit and beyond. That Lord, you will establish an authority, an anointing, a dominion that honors you. Thank you for Pastor David. Thank you for his mother. Thank you for his wife. Thank you for all that you're doing through this family. Those that are related and those that are connected. We rejoice in you. And we praise you for the victory in Jesus' name.